Welcome to Wizard Studies. Join us as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about Tom, Marvolo, Riddle, slash Voldemort, slash he who must not be named, slash you know who, slash the Dark Lord. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot of names. Maybe the most that we've... Out of any character we've talked about. Yeah, seriously. A lot of names are non-names. Um, before we get into this really light and happy episode for Christmas Eve, <laughs> some even darker thoughts. Um, so recently, if you are keeping up in the Harry Potter world, um, you probably have read about J.K. Rowling's most recent tweets Um, She said, she tweeted for the first time in a while, standing with uh, this woman who said some pretty transphobic things. Um, We don't really want to dwell on her, but um, if you follow us on Twitter or social media, you'll see what we've said about this. But basically, we just wanted to say that we're a podcast that's open and inclusive to everyone Um, And we both really enjoyed what we found in the Potter community with um, inclusivity and just being this really open and accepting place. And so while we love the world that um, JK built and the community that we have got from it, we certainly do not stand um, with the comments that she made and just want to say that we're supportive of everyone and hope that like everyone um, feels welcome and accepted in the Harry Potter community. Yes, very well said. <laughs> I, I don't really think I have anything to add. You've said it all. Yeah. I mean, we just, <laughs> I, we've talked about it a bit, and yeah. I think we both feel the same way. But we understand if you feel, you probably aren't listening to this, but we understand if you feel that you need to take a break from Potter or not have it in your life. But to us... It, it's evolved away from just what JK created. And while we appreciate what like she created and we are in shock that someone that created a story literally about acceptance could be this transphobic and hateful, um, we still feel that we can like find, find solace in this story. And it's basically the fan story now. Yeah. We're taking it over. Yeah, I think my favorite stuff I saw online was, like, using quotes from the book as kind yeah. of, like, shade. <laughs> yeah, the Kingsley quote, the yeah. every human life is equal and worth saving or something yeah. like that. And there have been, like, I think a couple maybe, like, Ramus Lupin or, like, Dumbledore quotes as well just about, like, I don't know, like, a person is a person. They deserve love and whatnot. Yeah, one of my favorite things was... um uh, it was shoot I don't I think it was another po- Harry Potter podcast I don't remember who it was um but I think I retweeted it so it's on our Twitter if you want to go see but they said something about like books are for readers and mm. like the readers own like once it's out in the world like the readers have that ownership over it and like we have all interpreted this story as a message of like kindness and acceptance and 
that's still valid. For sure. For sure. To everyone. Yes. Acceptance to everyone, not just select few. Exactly. Okay, so enough about that. Like Audrey said, we're going to get back to the sunshine and butterflies that this episode's going to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> so his name is Tom Marvolo words. His name is Tom Marvolo Riddle. Um, so Tom, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but Tom comes from, Tom and Riddle come from his father and then Marvolo is his maternal grandfather's name. Yes. And obviously those letters rearrange spells. I am Lord Voldemort. And I think some of my, like, favorite, like, comics or, like, memes or fan <laughs> art is, like, him just, like, sitting, like, trying to, like, use those letters to spell something. Like, all the different things that he could have yeah. made. <laughs> uh, so funny. I, it just seems weird that it's not Thomas. Yeah. But I guess that maybe would have screwed up the... Then you would have have, had an H, A, and S to I wonder which came first. Like, I assume Lord Voldemort came first. Yeah, I wonder. And then, like, Marvolo was created from, like, the leftover letters just because that's, like, kind of, like, an odd name. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's pretty creative. Yeah. I always like that. That's so cool. Like, that's one of the, like, first, like, big, like... Yeah. Like, reveals, you know? And you just did kids. that silently, so. She's, like, mouthing whoa. <laughs> for all the people that can't see her, which is everyone but me. <laughs> um, yep, so Tom Marvolo Riddle was born December 31st, 31st, 1926. So we're coming up on his birthday. His, what is this, 2019? So his 93rd birthday, is that right? Nope. Yeah. I cannot do math that fast. I think it's his... <laughs> nope. Did you do it? 93, yeah. Oh, I was right. You're right, you're right. <laughs> um, He was born at Wool's Orphanage, London. That's what it says on, on the wiki, which I had never picked up on this, but that makes it seem like he was born at the orphanage and then his mother left. Mm-hmm. Um, which for some reason in my head, I always had like, she birthed him and then just like left him there, but that no, makes sense I think too. they talk about how like a pregnant woman showed up on the doorstep oh, and then yeah. was dead within like the hour or something. Right. Kind of thing. Like when Mrs. Cole is talking to Dumbledore right? and she says something along those lines. Sorry, I have a little bit of a cold. That's okay. <laughs> um, then he died. May 2nd, 1998, in the Great Hall, not in the courtyard courtyard or whatever, yeah. atrium kind of thing, outside. Um, and his death is very different, which I'll probably talk about when we get to the where are they now section. I'll <laughs> talk about You'll the death. and Go on your rant. Yeah. <laughs> How the death in the movie is just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So his parents, as Katie said, were Tom Riddle Sr., um, who is a muggle, and Merope Gaunt, who is a witch. Um, so this makes him a half-blood, as most of his followers do not know. Um, and then a little bit about the Gaunt family, because we have information on them. So the, the word Gaunt means, like, being very thin, especially from disease or hunger or cold. And then the Gaunts are part of the Sacred 28 and they're direct heirs of Salazar Slip- Slytherin. And then on Lexico, it has a little little paragraph about the Gaunt family saying 
Most of the Gaunts were gifted with the ability to speak or at least understand the snake language parcel tongue, making the family line unique in the wizarding world. Because they were parcel mouths, the Gaunt heirs of Slytherin were entrusted over the centuries with the secret of how to open the Chamber of Secrets under Hogwarts Castle. A student named Corvinus Gaunt incorporated the trapdoor entrance into the plumbing of a new bathroom that was built in the 18th century, which orphan Tom Riddle rediscovered in the 20th century. I thought this was interesting because I had never thought about how Tom Riddle would have known how to open the Chamber of Secrets. Mm. Um, and this doesn't fully explain it because he was an orphan. So, like, obviously, like, his mom couldn't teach him. But um, it just it's just interesting to think about, like, for, like, centuries, Gaunt's knew about the Chamber of Secrets. And, like, it was their kind of, like, responsibility to open it. Huh. That is interesting. Okay. So, his wand, um, the one he got from Ollivanders, is... 13 and a half inches which i think is like on the longer end I want yeah to that's say. pretty long i think the longest one mine's like 14 and a half i th- feel okay. like the longest you can get is like 15 or 16 i think the mm-hmm. elder wand is pretty long is that right yeah i think it, yeah, the elder probably. wand might be like 15 and a half yeah and i mean there's some that are like nine like i want to say nine is like, is like kind maybe of the average. shortest i think 12 is maybe average yeah because doesn't umbridge have like a like a nine inch one yeah hers is like really short yeah well it's like if you think about holding like a 12 inch ruler just for like a reference like that's like seems like a very like that seems good normal. length you know? yeah. yeah no i don't like, like how long mine is mm, yeah but like nine inches like a more than a third of that would be like covered by your hand pretty much like depend i mean depending on how you hold yeah. it but like yeah that's weird the wood is you wood and the core is a phoenix feather core obviously um because it's fox spoiler alert um <laughs> you so i'll just read the paragraph about you wood from olivander or at least I'll try. Reading Ollivander is not the easiest. You know I'm not a great reader, so. <laughs> <laughs> you wands are among the rarer kinds, and their ideal matches are likewise unusual and occasionally notorious. The wand of you is reputed to endow its possessor with the power of life and death, which might, of course, be said of all wands, and <laughs> you, you retains a particularly dark and fearsome reputation in the spheres of dueling and all curses. However, it is untrue to say, as though those unlearned learned in wand lore often do that those who use you wands are more likely to be attracted to the dark arts than another the witcher wizard wizard best suited to a you wand equally prove a fierce protector of others wands hewn from these most long-lived trees have been found in the possession of heroes quite as often as villains where wizards have been buried with you want wands of you the wand generally sprouts into a tree guarding the owner's the dead owner, owner's grave. What is certain in my experience is that the Yuan never chooses either a mediocre or a timid owner. So I really like that description. Um, it's very equally bad and good kind of thing. Like, it does a good job of, like, oh, if you get you, it doesn't mean you're the next <laughs> Lord of Voldemort, you know, kind of thing. Whereas I remember when we were talking about the Umbridge wand, like, there was no good in that one, and I'm like, nobody. Like, I'm sure that yeah. you can't get Umbridge's wood as, well, like, yeah. in the wand thing. Well, you, I think, is also Ginny's wood. Yeah. I think we talked about this on hers. Uh, yeah, I do remember that. So it does a really good job of, like, 
still fitting Lord Voldemort, but also, like, but if you get you, don't worry about it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I really like how it talks about, like, how it's so powerful, like, the life and death thing, and I don't know, it just, it seems like it's a very good and, like, powerful description as of a yeah. very powerful wand. And saying, like, notorious and stuff like uh-huh. that. Yeah. Just very, uh, I know, it's a very cool description. I really like that it generally sprouts, sprouts a tree. Like, that's super cool. Yeah, I thought, for some reason, I thought all wands did that. Like, I don't know how rare it is, because I definitely, like, heard of that as yeah. well. But I don't know well, whether I'm just making that up. <laughs> yeah, I know that, um, shoot, uh, Slytherin's wand sprouted a tree oh, yeah. at Ilvermorny. Because there's that whole backstory, which we should do an Ilvermorny episode. For sure, yeah. But, and his wasn't you, I think, but it it's Snakewood or something, I think. Yeah, it's something, yeah. like, weird like that. <laughs> and I really like the last line, too. Like, in my experience, it is that the Yuan never chooses either mediocre or, or timid. Because right. I think that, I don't know, just proves, like, kind of how powerful of a wand it is and how it's really attracted to like powerful wizards and witches yeah if it in like a sentence like that fits Voldemort and Ginny for sure yeah um so now I'll talk a little bit about the core I know we generally don't do this because we just talked about like unicorn and dragon heartstrings so many times (laughs) over the first couple episodes um but we don't really talk about phoenix as much just because it's the rarest core type um, so I'll just read a little bit about phoenix feathers. And we know how important the phoenix feather is to, like, this specific one and, like, this specific story and Lord yeah. Voldemort and Harry Potter. So this is the rarest core type. Phoenix feathers are capable of the greatest range of magic, though they may take longer than either unicorn or dragon cores to reveal this. They show the most initiative, sometimes acting of their own accord, um equality that many witches and wizards dislike phoenix feather wands are usually the pickiest when it comes to potential owners for the creature from which they are taken is one of the most independent and detached to the world these wands are the hardest to tame and to personalize and their allegiance is usually hard won so i mean the core type descriptions are always like a little bit more general just because like they have to fit a third of the population kind of thing but i like that i like the mention of they sometimes do magic on their own but then that adds kind of confusion because wasn't it like unprecedented that harry's magic or wanted magic on their own like is it because it like moved on its own or like i feel like the extent to which harry's wanted magic on its own okay i think yeah like, it literally blocked a killing curse. Yeah. And when I read that, sparks. I read it as, like, oh, sometimes it, like, shoots off, like, sparks or something like that. But, yeah. like, not, like, actually, like, axe to save the owner. Yeah. Sorry, you saying that? I just listened to a little bit of Order of the Phoenix on the plane ride home. And there's the the scene, like, when the Order is picking up Harry um, to take him to Grimmauld Place for the first time. That's when Mad-Eye Moody, like... Oh. complains about Harry like having his wand in his back pocket because he'll blow a buttock off and then Tonks and Harry go upstairs to pack and everybody else is like getting ready to leave and stuff and Tonks when she's leaving the room she's like got everything packed buttock's still on let's go and I just like burst out laughing so funny um anyways 
Yeah, so that's Voldemort's wand. We do know that he stops using this wand because he knows that when he finds about out about the connection and Harry's wand, his and Harry's wand, and he starts using other people's wands. I also just a little pet peeve about his wand in the movies and like in the Noble collection. It's just like so did is that what the wand looked like when he got it? Oh, because it's, like, white with a skull at the bottom, right? Yeah. Well, it just looks like a bone. Yeah. Like, the handle. And I'm, like, did, like, Ollivander... I've been, like, I've seen some stuff online where it's, like, Ollivander just gives this 11-year-old child, like, this evil-looking wand and, like, doesn't expect, like, suspect anything of it, you know? It's, like, yeah. an indicator. I mean, I he's... Know, just, like... He has a flair so, for the dramatic, so I feel like yeah. Voldemort would have crafted Imagine, that. Imagine, like, sitting there, like, painting it painstakingly. <laughs> He's got those, like, little, the, the like, magnifying things over the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Okay, so another thing that we usually don't include in the fact file is his bogart, which is his own corpse. Um... And this is something that Joe said in a 2005 interview. So, like, it was right after Half-Blood Prince came out. And it was an interview with the Leaky Cauldron. Um, And they asked, like, somebody, it was, like, fan questions. And somebody asked what Voldemort's bogger would be. And she said, well, he fears death. So the interviewer was like, oh, so, like, a corpse. And she was like, yeah, I was thinking his own corpse. Um, she also said in this interview that he would see himself as all-powerful and eternal in the mirror of Erised, which makes sense. That's kind of all he cares about is not dying and being all-powerful. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Hogwarts, his house was Slytherin. Um, he descends from Salazar Slytherin, so this makes sense. He's also really ambitious and power-hungry. And racist. So. <laughs> kind of checks all the boxes. <laughs> you know, classic Slytherin. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Okay, so I'm going to read the first mention um, of Voldemort in this series. This is well before we meet him. It is in the first chapter, The Boy Who Lived, when Dumbledore and McGonagall show up on Privet Drive. And they're having a little chit-chat. So I will start. Um, no, thank you, said Professor... This is also kind of a long section, I apologize. No, thank you, said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't think this was the moment for Sherbert Lemons. As I say, even if you know who has gone. My dear Professor, surely a sensible person like yourself can call him by his name. All this you-know-who nonsense. For 11 years, I've been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name, Voldemort. Professor McGonagall flinched, but Dumbledore, who was unsticking to Sherbert Lemon, seemed not to notice. It all gets so confusing if we keep saying you-know-who. I have never seen any reason to be frightened of saying Voldemort's name. I know you haven't, said Professor McGonagall, sounding half-exasperated, half-admiring. But you're different. Everyone knows you're the only you-know-who. Ugh. All right. Voldemort was afraid of. You flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Calmly. Interesting. Um... (laughs) I lost my spot. (laughs) (laughs) You flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have, only because you're too, well, noble to use them. It's lucky it's dark. I haven't blushed so much since Madame Pomfrey told me she liked my new earmuffs. (laughs) Madame Pomfrey. (laughs) 
this goes on to kind of like McGonagall asks if like what happened if Dumbledore knows um, if he's going to come back that kind of thing and then Hagrid shows up with baby Harry baby Harry which we yeah. talked about on our last episode yeah um, but overall like the first mention is very kind of mysterious and I think like they do that on purpose the whole like because the next time they really talk about Voldemort I read a little bit and it's when Hagrid shows up at the hut on the rock and he's like Lily and James didn't die in a car crash are you kidding me and he like goes through and he's like well how did they die and Hagrid's like ooh and then has to like kind of explain it kind of not but it's like just this big very like mysterious like Nobody knows how he found the Potters. Nobody yeah. knows how, what happened to him afterwards, how Harry survived. And I think, like, the first mention does a good job, like, setting up that mystery and intrigue. And, like, you're intrigued enough to want to know what happens, but not, like, dying to know too much. To not, mm. like, pay attention to when his name isn't mentioned again for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when you're, when it kind of comes back up back like when harry's getting the sorcerer's stone Mm -hmm. you're like oh yeah like Voldemort. but other than that you're just like oh yeah like he's the guy that killed harry's parents you're not like oh like this is going to be the like driving bad force you know yeah right so then on to his myers-briggs personality type um So I was reading a bit online, and a lot of people were saying, like, oh, it's hard to categorize him because he's so, like, unhuman. Like, he's not Mm. really a human at this point. Um, So no offense to anyone with this personality type. It is still a good type. Uh, But this does seem to fit him the best out of of the 16 options. We have limited options here, folks. Um, So the personality type that most people online have... Um, assigned to him is ENTJ, which is the commander. And um, I think this fits, actually fits pretty well. um, If you just focus on like the bad parts of it. And I think also like focusing on Tom Riddle more than like Voldemort. Because Tom Riddle is the person. Tom Riddle definitely um, fits this personality type pretty well. I think there's, you can't really like think about Voldemort with this because... I don't know. He doesn't have, like, any real... I mean, he has emotion. Like, he gets angry and stuff, but he doesn't... Like, he's not understandable, whereas Tom Riddle is a little bit more, like, comprehensible. Yeah. Um, Okay, so ENTJs, or commanders, are natural-born leaders. People with this personality type embody the gifts of charisma and confidence and project authority in a way that draws crowds together behind a common goal. However, commanders are also characterized by an often ruthless level of rationality, using their drive, determination, and sharp minds to achieve whatever end they've set for themselves. Perhaps it is best that they make up only 3% of the population, lest they overwhelm the more timid and sensitive personality types that make up much of the rest of the world. But we have commanders to thank for for many of the businesses and institutions we take for granted every day. Um, I think the, like, charisma and confidence and drawing crowds together, like, that's totally Tom Riddle. Like, we talk about how Voldemort has these Death Eaters that support him, but, like, and, like, yes, those people kind of support the cause because they're also racist, but the, like, Tom Riddle was, like, on the ground, like, recruiting those people, um, 
like somebody had to like become the first death eater and like i think like a lot of the building of it came from his like like he's charming he's cunning he's kind of this enigma like i think of him as kind of like a cult leader you know Mm. like he's supposed to be attractive and um like draw people in and stuff like that yeah for sure um I also thought the, like, ruthless rationality um, description was interesting because while Voldemort does have all of these supporters, he is not in any way, like, he doesn't show that he cares about any of them, really. Um, I think it's just, he is ruthless and he is, he just wants to be the most powerful. He wants to be immortal and, like, he will kind of cast aside anything that gets in his way. He doesn't feel any real loyalty to anyone which i think maybe maybe that's the one slytherin trait that he doesn't Mm. embody like that fraternity sense of loyalty um because like i don't think while his his supporters are loyal to him i don't think he feels like he has to be loyal to them okay um at the at the negotiating table be it in a cooperative corporate environment or buying a car commanders are dominant relentless and unforgiving this isn't because they're cold-hearted or vicious per se (laughs) it's more that commander personalities genuinely enjoy the challenge the battle of wits the repartee that comes from this environment and if the other side can't keep up and that's no reason for commanders to fold on their own core tenant of ultimate victory (laughs) so my comments on this are or maybe they are actually vicious (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think the unforgiving descriptor is interesting, um, kind of what I was saying about, like, him not really caring about his supporters. Um, for instance, like, his whole relationship with the the Malfoys. Um, like, he knows that the Malfoys didn't really care if he came back, you know. They were just kind of content fucking around and living on their own without him. Um, and then with Lucius messing up with the, um battle of the department of mysteries and all that like he is pretty unforgiving like he punishes draco by making him be the one to kill dumbledore or like give him that mission and then like he basically just sets up camp at malfoy manor he takes lucius's wand like if you wrong voldemort and especially if you wrong him multiple times or at least like fail him multiple times like he's just going to use you for what you can give to him like Mm -hmm. your house your wand like your son to kill kill somebody and he's not going to and and then if you run out of like things that you can offer him like he's gonna kill you yeah there's no there's no like oh well maybe you can be like a good supporter again like you lucius was never going to get back in voldemort's good graces um I and i if there oh sorry oh go ahead uh, okay mine's kind of Silly. If there are any commanders in the Raleigh Durham area and want to help a girl buy a car, <laughs> I need help. Okay. <laughs> Thought it was gonna be Potter related. No, it wasn't. <laughs> That's why I was gonna wait till you were done, but then you kept talking. So oh, okay. I ruined it. Anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> If there's anyone commanders respect, it's someone who is able to stand up to them intellectually, who is able to act with a precision and quality equal to their own. Commander personalities have a particular skill in recognizing the talents of others, and this helps in both their team-building efforts, 
Imagine the death eaters doing team building exercises. <laughs> like doing the thing with the hula hoop where they have to like hold hands and like get cut around the circle. <laughs> um, so this helps in both their team building efforts and to keep commanders from displaying too much arrogance and condescension. I don't think that worked for Voldemort. Um, however, they also have a particular skill in calling out others' failures with a chilling degree of insensitivity. And this is where commanders really start to run into trouble. Um, so the first sentence there about like respecting people who they respect, I think like Voldemort doesn't fully respect anyone. I would say the two people he respects the most are Snape and Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. Dumbledore he respects because he fears him. Um, which I think, I think his level of like respect just comes from like knowing that they are strong wizards. And I think like he respects Snape because Snape is not, like, throwing himself at him and, like, fawning all over him, like, for example, Bellatrix does. Yeah. Um, I really think he has no respect for Bellatrix. I think it's kind of like with the Malfoys, even though she never wronged him, it's just, like, she is there for him to, like, use of her powers and her capabilities and her body (laughs) (laughs) and her reproductive parts. Um, And that's really it. You know, like, I think with Snape, at least there might be some level of respect there. And I think that's, like, why it's even more, like, um, kind of, like, dramatic that Snape is the one that's been betraying him this whole time. And then the thing about calling out failures, like, that's the Malfoys again. Yeah. Um, okay. Emotional expression isn't the strong suit of any analyst type, but commanders' distance from their emotions is especially public and felt directly by a much broader swath of people. Especially in a professional environment, commanders will simply crush the sensitivities of those they view as inefficient, incompetent, or lazy. To people with the commander personality type, emotional displays are displays of weakness, and it's easy to make enemies with this, with this approach. I think I was talking about him respecting Dumbledore and I think kind of the one thing he doesn't respect about Dumbledore is like Dumbledore's like being emotional and like, Mm. oh, like love magic. Like I think Voldemort thinks that that's all dumb, even though it literally ends up being his downfall twice. Um, But I think, yeah, I obviously Tom Riddle slash Voldemort is cold and like, not emotionally invested in really anything except for himself. Okay, and then strengths and weaknesses. Um, we have for strengths, efficient, energetic, self-confident, strong-willed, strategic thinkers, charismatic, and inspiring. Um, definitely, like, charismatic and inspiring, self-confident. Those ones really fit Tom Riddle. Um, for weaknesses, stubborn and dominant, intolerant, impatient, arrogant, poor handling of emotions, cold and ruthless. And I think this is the first time I can confidently say <laughs> that like the weaknesses of a personality type entirely fit the character I'm describing. Like yeah. I I can't I think all of those fit. Yeah. Well, it's also good to know if you have this personality type that Tom Riddle's basically just like the weaknesses of the personality type. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Make you feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know if you have this personality type. You're probably a great person. Yeah, well, because didn't it say it was also, like, super rare? 
Yeah, it's only 3% of the population. Yeah. A lot of, like, CEOs, like, company mm-hmm. founders, stuff like that have this personality type because it, it is about, like, leading and being ambitious and, yeah. like, being charismatic and charming and, like, winning people over to your side, which are all great traits to have as long as you don't, le- like, use them to kill people. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> So this next section is entitled Early Life, but it's basically just Tom Riddle's life, um, pre-Voldemort kind of thing. So briefly, I don't know if we talked about this much on the podcast, but like just a brief overview of this story, like between his parents. So like I say Merope, I just know some people say Merope, but Jim Dale says Merope, so that's what I'm going to say throughout this uh, podcast. So Merope... Gaunt grew up with Marvolo, her father, and Morphin, her brother. And she was treated like trash by them. She never got the opportunity to go to Hogwarts, I believe. Didn't they like think she was a squib? Yeah, they like made jokes about how she was a squib. And a lot of people I've actually seen like have been asking why she didn't turn into an obscurious. Um, mm. Kind of because her magic was definitely suppressed. Because they even like talk about that. Like post leaving, she like got better at magic. Like I think they talk, like Dumbledore talks about that when she leaves um, in Half Blood Prince when he's going through this story with Harry. But she had this big old crush on the local muggle boy, Tom Riddle Sr., who lived in Little, Little, lived Hangleton. In Little Hangleton, and then she lived in the outskirts of Little Hangleton. I don't know. Um, but he would, like, ride by the house, and she'd, like, look out the window. He was a rich boy. Yeah. He was a rich white boy. <laughs> um, and... She, one day, he came by, like, on his ride, like he always did, and she decided to, like, spike, she gave him some, like, water or, like, lemonade as, like, a refreshment or whatever, and she spiked it with love potion. And so, they, quote-unquote, fell in love, she ran away with him, or they both ran away, and she got pregnant, and after she got pregnant, she decided to stop giving him love potion because she thought that... He had really loved her, like, come to love her for with their time together, like, that he wouldn't leave because she was pregnant with his child. And, shocker, all men are jerks. <laughs> and he just leaves her. Okay, well, I don't think this is on him. Not, not saying that what Merope did wasn't a jerk move either. Um... So there have been, like, a, I've seen a lot of theories that, like, Lord, or that Tom Riddle and Lord Voldemort were, like, incapable of love because he was born out of a love potion. I'm pretty sure JK has talked about this, or at least, like, I remember, like, seeing, like, a statement where it's, like, no, like, that's not why. Yes. <laughs> well, you know how we talked about that theory where that Ginny gave Harry a love potion? Yeah. Maybe all of his their children are destined to just never love. Yeah. Because they were clearly born out of a love potion. True. <laughs> no wonder Albus is such a little moody asshole. <laughs> um So yeah, I mean I don't I don't really like that. I think that's like 
you want your villains to be, like, understandable. And you want to have, like, some th- sympathy, I think, for yeah. your villains. Like, for it to be a good villain. Or at least... Like, there, I think there are two types of villains. So there's, like, the cold, like, that you just hate, love to hate. But then there's, like, villains that, like, you understand, like, yeah. why they are the way they are. Like Snape. Yeah, like Snape. Or, I mean, uh, to some extent, I think that Lord Voldemort could fit that, too. Like, he... He was an orphan. Yeah, he was an orphan. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is, like, going a little bit too far down that road. Yeah. Of, like... The theory, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. The love potion, like, and how he's incapable of love because of that. Like, no, I think he was just a sociopath, you know? Yeah, that seems like an accurate word to describe. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, She had no money once Tom Riddle Sr. left her. She sold her one and only possession, the ring, for, like, ten galleons or whatever. The necklace. Yeah, sorry, the necklace. The ring was Marvolo's, and she, he still had it at this point. Um, and she was ripped off by Borg and Burke. Um, and then she showed up on the orphanage doorstep when she was pregnant and, like, giving birth. And she died in childbirth. And in Katie's trivia corner for today, <laughs> the name of the orphanage is Wool's Orphanage. That is a question I've seen multiple times on, like, quizzes. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Fun fact. Um, so Tom Riddle grew up in the orphanage not knowing about his magical abilities, but kind of know he realized pretty quickly that something about him was different, that he was more powerful. He could, like, control things and speak to snakes. And by the time Dumbledore came to get him at age 11, he had, like, an unprecedented amount of mastery of his magical abilities. Like, normally kids kind of... Like, when we see Harry do it, it's, like, out of emotion. But Voldemort and, or Tom Riddle is able to do things that he wants to, do, like, get done. Like, yeah. he uses it to bully and torture kids and move things up on the ceiling and steal things as trophies. Which is very interesting parallel to him and his, like, collecting of horcruxes later on in life. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Dumbledore shows up, like I said, when he's age 11 to be like, hey, you're magical. Come to Hogwarts. It's this wonderful place. And this scene is one of my, I love this scene when Dumbledore is being all kind of like mischievous and like suave and like turning on the charm a little bit for Mrs. Cole and like he gets her drunk. It's just like really interesting and you learn so much information and Mrs. Cole is just like kind of this bumbling idiot and Dumbledore just completely takes advantage of her to get all the information he needs because he's Dumbledore and he needs all the information um so he meets Tom Riddle he like becomes suspicious and resolves to keep an eye on him and say like stealing will not be tolerated so he starts at Hogwarts he gets sorted into Slytherin as mentioned before And then this was an interesting thing that I found out through, like, typing this up, is that in the summer, he still had to go home to the orphanage, so, like, his least favorite place. Just kind of like Harry having to go home to the Dursleys every break, leaving their favorite place in the world, Hogwarts, to go to their least favorite place, which Harry kind of uses to get in Voldemort's head because, um... 
he's the one who thinks that Voldemort hid something at Hogwarts and Ron and Hermione are like oh my god Harry no like he wouldn't do that but he was like but you don't get him like I do and like what Hogwarts means to the both of us so that's an interesting parallel between them at school he was well liked by the faculty and most of the other students he was head boy and prefect also I found he's the only named head boy that we know oh interesting which, like, kind of makes sense because we very rarely know, like, older Slytherins. And, like, we don't... The trio never makes it to year seven to be head boy and head girl. So, like, yeah. at that point, Draco's not head boy. Right. Well, I don't think Draco would have been head boy anyway. Well, he was prefect, wasn't he? Isn't there one head boy, head girl? Oh, you're... Tr- yeah, you're right. You're right. Right? Is that right? There's prefects Yeah, no, there's only the one. Yeah. Yeah, well, so there's I don't, one of each. I don't see yeah. any of the uh, Slytherins and Harrys here. <laughs> yeah. Contenders. Or <laughs> Maybe Blaze. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but Dumbledore was so wary. He still kept a close eye on him. Didn't trust him. Never really... I think um, Tom even says this in like Chamber of Secrets, like... Dumbledore never really liked me as much as the rest of the faculty did. Like, yeah, always he, like, resents Dumbledore, Dumbledore was, for that. Yeah, like, very suspicious of him. Um, so throughout his time at Hogwarts, he was obsessed with finding out about his parents because the only thing he knows about them is that his father's name is, was Tom Riddle because Merope, before she died, was like, name him Tom after his father. Like, I hope he looks like him. Yeah. And Mrs. Cole is like, yeah, she wasn't even looking. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Marvolo. Like, I don't even know if he knew his mother's name. Yeah, I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, he finds out that they're the gaunts. Yeah. So at first he was convinced that his father was the magical one because his mother was too weak and she wouldn't have died in childbirth if she um, could use magic. So he was convinced that it was his father. But after, like, searching and searching, he couldn't find anything. Um, And so this is when he drops Tom Riddle and starts going by Voldemort. And then he again looks into like the Marvolo lineage and he finds his family through that name and his connection to the Slytherin family. How much easier would this have been if he had Ancestry.com? <laughs> Can you imagine? Like teenage Voldemort like in the Hogwarts library. like Just, like swabbing. It's like, hmm, I'm from Little Hangleton. <laughs> yeah. Or like doing like um, 23andMe or whatever. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of shocked that he even found out. Yeah. Like, I know that he comes from, like, the Slytherin family, but, like, Marvolo seemed very removed. Well, they're, they are the Gaunter direct descendants. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying, like, they seemed very removed from, like, the wizarding world at that point. Oh, so I yes, don't know, like, yeah. Maybe, like, Marvolo had been in the family for, like, a really long time, so, like, tracing, like, closer to, like, Slytherin time, he was able? I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Um, anyways, then he kills his father and grandparents in 1943. I believe this is after his fifth year, if I do math correctly, because he... Anyways. I'm pretty there. sure... It's either his fourth or fifth year. Uh... Isn't it his sixth? Well, because I think doesn't I think he kill Myrtle in his sixth, and then she's the first 
one that is made into a horcrux. No, I think he was in fifth year when that happened. Here, let me pull up the wiki. Um, what? I just looked up Tom Riddle and it took me to Tom Riddle Sr.'s wiki. I'm like, is that the Tom Riddle you really thought I was looking for? Oh my god, I just did it again. What is happening? I literally was just on this page. Tom, on the, Tom Riddle Sr., his wiki is Thomas Riddle. Ah, uh, so okay. Maybe his real name is Thomas, or maybe Moropi <laughs> didn't know that her his full name was Thomas, and just he went by Tom, so that's what she thought her name was. His name was. Um. Okay, so around June thirteenth, nineteen forty three, the basilisk injured many at Hogwarts. So it's the same, like the end of the school year to summer. Yeah. It's very close. Yeah, so that, like, he kills Myrtle, and then he goes and kills his father and his grandparents. Yeah, and he makes he's in, horcruxes out of both. Yeah. But he's in Hogwarts from 1938 to 1945, so I think 43 would be the summer after oh, yeah. his fifth year, right? Yeah, because 44 would be after his sixth year. Yeah. Sixth year, yeah. Interesting. And when he found out he was related to Slytherin, this is when he became obsessed with finding the Chamber of Secrets and opening it. Right, Which so all of that does. must have happened, like, during his fifth year, opened the Chamber of Secrets, when it killed Dad. Yeah, or, like, he could even, like, found it, like, his fourth year. Yeah, and been working on it. Yeah. Um, so then during his sixth year is when he finds out about Horcruxes, or at least that's when he asked Slughorn about them. Right, I think that's when he asked about, like, making multiple, which, yeah. like, presumably he could have made some already. Yeah, so he, like, obviously knows, because I think it's implied that he, like, read about them in a book and, like, right. found it somewhere. Yeah. But then he just has, what like, what you said. He was only asking Slughorn about the repercussions and, like, what would happen if you make more than one. He had already known how to make one and Say, had already made for some instance, before. seven. Yeah. Seven? <laughs> My um, God, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> After graduating Hogwarts, he asked Dippet for a job at the school teaching, and he, Dippet said no. Um, I can't remember whether this was, like, just because, like, he was too young, or, like, did Dumbledore kind of, like, make sure Dippet didn't allow him? Let me see. Oh, yeah. So he just said he was too young, but you, he could, like, come back in a few years. Mm-hmm. And then by the time um, he came back, I think Dumbledore was... Dumbledore was already headmaster. So then he goes to work at Borden and Burks, and then this pretty much leaves off right where we talked about in, like, most of the, like, house episodes, and, like, whenever we talked about Horcruxes. Yeah. Because then, like, pretty much the rest of... Like, because then that picks up exactly, like, where he, like, finds the cop on, like, Hepzibah Smith and... Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, like, his life post that. So I'll stop there. But I don't know. I just think it's Dumbledore's time – or Dumbledore. Voldemort's timeline has always been, like, kind of confusing to me because, like, even at Hogwarts they were calling his friends Death Eaters. And, like, he already yeah. had started to go by Lord Voldemort. And then did he – when does he? When does his peer appearance start to take a downturn? Is that like? Oh, I think that's. Do we hear about that when he comes back to Hogwarts and Dumbledore is like even by then, 
like when he goes back to ask for a job because oh. i think even still at borgen and burke like he was still like looking pretty normal I vaguely remember the, like, Dumbledore saying, like, even by then he had, like, paled and stuff. Yeah. The whole, like, looking like a snake, red eyes stuff, that is only after he comes back. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think he maybe still looked human before, like, pre his first fall. Yeah. Um, I think That's so. interesting, though. But, yeah. So, it's a crash course on Tom Riddle. <laughs> All right. Um, so this next section is a comparison between Voldemort and Grindelwald, who we have been learning a lot more about with the Fantastic Beasts series. Um, and I think it's interesting because I feel like we, we hear them both called like the most powerful and dangerous dark wizard of all time. Obviously only one of them can be that. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to like have a conversation about it, like who we really think is more, powerful more dangerous um I, I think it depends on like the sort of questions you're asking um so someone on reddit this is validity nine two years ago asked grindelwald versus Voldemort, who is more powerful so they're asking specifically like if they had dueled at the peak of their powers who would have won um so this is like wizard like magical powers um, and so they said that they think that Grindelwald would have um, destroyed Voldemort because um, Grindelwald pretty much conquered the entire all the entirety of Europe in his six years, with the exception of um, Great Britain because Dumbledore was there. Meanwhile, Voldemort took fourteen years, eleven in the first Wizarding War and three in the second, and failed to even take over all of Wizarding Britain. Um, So when Grindelwald and Dumbledore fought, they were aged 62 and 63, and Dumbledore said that he was a touch more skilled. And when Dumbledore Dumbledore and Voldemort fought in Order of the Phoenix, Voldemort was only 70. Meanwhile, quote, our fluffy beard boy, aka Dumbledore, (laughs) was 114 years old. So he was slower and weaker, and his reflexes weren't as good as they were presumably when he fought Grindelwald, but he was still like toying with Voldemort. Um, He held Voldemort back so that the Ministry of Magic could come see that Voldemort was actually back. Um, He was protecting Harry and he was making sure that Bellatrix didn't escape like all at the same time. Um, And so they're saying that like, it's not really portrayed well in the movies, but it's, it's clear that Dumbledore is more powerful, at least in dueling, than Voldemort is um, in that circumstance. Um, And, like, Dumbledore was just fighting with defensive spells. They then go on to say that Grindelwald was extremely intelligent and was marked as an intellectual equal by Dumbledore, who was also incredibly intelligent. Grindelwald was expelled from Durmstrang, which prided itself for teaching their students dark arts because Grindelwald was practicing dark arts that were too dark even for Durmstrang. (laughs) And another thing was that Voldemort's visit to Grindelwald when he was in Nurmengard, he was unarmed and was 116 years old and probably hadn't been doing magic for 53 years, but he was still able to stop Voldemort from penetrating his mind. And like Voldemort is supposed to be um, really good at this. And in the movie, it portrays it like 
Grindelwald told Voldemort that Dumbledore had the Elder Wand, but in the in the books, you know that Grindelwald did not actually um, he like did not tell him that Dumbledore was the one who had it. Um, and he even called Voldemort Tom and like laughed in his face and like basically asked to be killed. Um, they close by saying that the only edge which Voldemort has is splitting his soul. But if we take that out of consideration, it is clear that Grindelwald is the superior one. Um, so I think I, I think I agree for a lot of this. Um, as far as like powers, I think that Grindelwald is probably a better magician. He seems more like studied in it and like intrigued by like magic in general as compared to just like, oh, making horcruxes, like becoming immortal. Like Voldemort's kind of this like one track mind. Mm. Um, and Grindelwald seems very like well-practiced in magic. Like I'm like really hope when we see that duel in Fantastic Beast 5 and like it better be some dope magic yeah um and I also think that Grindelwald while we've talked about Voldemort being very cunning or at least Tom Riddle being very cunning and we don't see a lot of that we kind of assume it um with like his early days but like Grindelwald's manipulation is mm. wild to me like what we've seen especially in Crimes of Grindelwald his ability to win people over to his side and instill fear and like just kind of make people do what he wants them to do I think makes him extremely powerful um extremely dangerous I think potentially the one thing that I, I would maybe say that Voldemort is more ruthless because he Grindelwald has a more clear mission um, yeah. and like he doesn't want to kill all wizards where Voldemort well he does want this like wizarding superiority over muggles like Grindelwald did it's more so concerned with himself and he's like willing he's willing to like quote shed that magical blood and so I think I think Voldemort is more maybe more ruthless and that could potentially make him more dangerous but as far as powers and like capabilities um especially with manipulation i think grindelwald is maybe darker in that sense and more powerful in that sense yeah i agree i like voldemort when you like actually think about his motives and his like ultimate goal it's like very confusing to me yes because like he always had he always had that ax aspect of like muggle hating right but it's like what was the point because right. like he wasn't very set on like purity he was half-blood he knew that right like i he just wanted power yeah and like what i was saying at the beginning like jk has said that his mirror of error said would just be him all powerful and immortal yeah I don't know, it's just, like, his motives and, like, what his ultimate goal was, like, besides killing Harry, was always very right. confusing to right. me. And, like, why? And, like, what would he have done after he killed Harry? Yeah. Like, what was the like, next step? It's very unclear. Yeah, because they always talk about how, like, Voldemort would never have, like, declared himself Minister of Magic. No, yeah. Like, he would have just had, like, a puppet do it. And, like, right. he had Snape run, like, Hogwarts for him. Like, another puppet what what was the point right and like 
like immortality like yes that's a goal but like usually like you want to be immortal for a reason and it seems like he just wants to be immortal to be immortal like it feels like Voldemort is chasing the like title of being the most powerful Mm -hmm. without like really having a reason to want to use those powers besides like I don't know a bit sadistic like he just wants everyone to suffer I don't know yeah well it's like also if you wanted to be immortal like starting a war and putting like a target on your back like probably isn't the best like if right. he just like lived his life and mind his own, minded his own business and like still created seven horcruxes, like I guess like no matter what that would have like destroyed his soul and he probably like would have become evil. But even if he just created like one or two, and just yeah. like lived his life, like I think he's really he focused on like doing things that no one's done before. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's very I don't know, and I think it just gets into like is he really that effective of a villain? Yeah. I personally reading the series always feared Umbridge more. Yeah. And I think I I just think Umbridge is a more convincing villain. I think that like even like thinking about like Bellatrix. Yeah. is almost more like cuz I think because there's so little human left in Voldemort the majority of the times that we see him. Yeah. It's like yeah, he's scaring scary yeah he's this like terrible evil like monster but like when there's that element of like humanity like with bellatrix it's almost like scarier because you can Mm -hmm. see like how this person has become i don't know i think that like as the books go on he becomes less and less effective as a villain i think it's because you learn more about him too yeah and, like, you see him fail so many times. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, in the first book, he's, like, this, like, we talked about, like, very mysterious. Yeah. Like, he gets so close to coming back, like, already in the first book, like, with almost getting the Philosopher's Stone and, like, the unicorn blood and being able to, like, manipulate Coral like that. And then, like, in the second one, opening the Chamber of Secrets and, like, coming back as, like, his ghost or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. But then, like, by the end, it's just, like, bro. It's almost grip. comical. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I like him as kind of the, like, head big bad, quote, yeah. unquote. Because, like, somebody has to be the big bad. Yeah. But I like the little bads better. Right. And, like, Umbridge. Like, we have a whole book that's basically, like, interactions with Umbridge. And, like, the whole Bellatrix backstory. Like, knowing that she tortured Neville's parents and, like, killed Sirius and all of that is more, like, you're more invested in it. Especially because Voldemort, like, rarely does the dirty work himself. Yeah. And I think, like, obviously this is, we're meant to think this, but, like, him being arrogant was, like, his downfall. Yeah. You know, he just always thought he had it in the bag and never did. Yeah. (laughs) So. I think I I would be really intrigued to learn more about, like, his, him as Tom Riddle and his first rise to power. Because that, to me, feels more scary. It feels more like Grindelwald. I think so, too. And, well, and like you said, it was, like, what, like, 11 years? Like, that's a long yeah. time to, like, have the wizarding community. Because, like, you ta- they talk about, like, in 6, like, that feeling of, like, 
people go missing every day. Like, you yeah. never know. Like, all people be always being on guard. And just, like, the heightened sense of, like, the wizarding community then. And that was only, like, at max, like, two and a half years that, like, the public yeah. knew, you know. But can you imagine, like, 11 years or yeah. even, like, five years, even if it's a half of that where, like, he was actually in power? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. The one thing that I would like to wrap up this section, I don't know if you have more to say, but um, we're talking about Voldemort v. Grindelwald, right? The most dangerous dark wizard. And I just want to point out that both of them feared Dumbledore more than anything. Uh, Or, like, not more than anything, but more than anyone. Yeah. And that just goes to show that Dumbledore Dumbledore is the greatest wizard of all time. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) So next I'm going to talk a little bit about his identity. Just because I... When I was, like, trying to think of another, like, section for this, I, like, ran into a post that, like, kind of touched on this, and then I just ran with it. So, basically, the crux of this is, like, it's very confusing and, like, ambiguous as to, like, how many people knew Lord Voldemort was Tom Riddle, because we kind of get, like, conflicting information. Like, where, okay... So, straight up, Dumbledore says in Chamber of Secrets, very few people knew that Voldemort was once called Tom Riddle. So, from that, we can kind of assume that not many people knew that Tom Riddle turned into Lord Voldemort. But, like, if you actually think about it, like I said earlier, he started going by Lord Voldemort in school. Granted, that was kind of, like, just with his, like, inner circle. Mm -hmm. So, if we can assume that, like, most Death Eaters... At yeah. least, like, the higher-up Death Eaters, like, yeah, knew that maybe. he's Tom Riddle. Yeah. Even before, but then especially after four, because he uses his father's bone but, to come back. And he talks about, like, how, like, he was named after his father, I think. Does he talk about that? I think so. Like, I think he talks about, like, like, he talks about his disdain for his muggle father. Is that before the Death Eaters come? Because isn't the whole thing, like, they don't know that he's half-blood. I think. That's true. Because that's... I, that would, like, blow the whole story. Yeah. Well, maybe I guess that... Is that before the Death Eaters come? Well, the potion was made before the Death Eaters came, yeah. for sure. But also, I don't know the answer to that, but also this just gave me another thought. Is like, I wonder, back on, like, kind of the last section, like, I wonder how much he really cared about the whole blood purity thing because i don't think he cared that much to be honest like it feels like i know that he hates his muggle father and like i believe that he hates muggles you know like i get that i that's i'm convinced but like i i just kind of feel like that is all exaggerated or like used to get the death eaters to support him because he knows that that's what they believe that's, like, kind of had always been my thought. Like, once I actually started to think about it. Like, I don't think he really cares about, like, the eradication of Muggleborns. I think, I think like, the whole like... opening the Chamber of Secrets, like, he did that because he wanted to, like, strike fear in people. And, like, yeah, he's an heir of Slytherin. He's obsessed with, like, his lineage and, like, being yeah. a Slytherin. And I think, like, yeah. So I think, like, he does that and he, like, hates Muggles because, like, that's kind of Slytherin's thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, I think... I don't know. I'm not entirely convinced that that's, like, really his motive. I think it was more, like, letting the Death Eaters do that. Yeah. And, like, keeping them on his side by letting them, like, have free reign. Okay, sorry. Totally interrupted you. No, no, you're good. 
so like it's like I said, it's just kind of always been kind of confusing about who knows because we know Dumbledore knew, we know that Slughorn knew, right? And we know that Ollivander knew because Ollivander talks about like when Harry picks his wand, yeah. like oh yes, I remember the boy who got this wand or whatever. And then there's been like a lot of things about like did Hagrid know? Right. I feel like he had to have, but it's never like Dumbledore really definitely mentioned. told him. Yeah. Um, but then when you actually think about it, it's like, how is it a big secret? Like, did nobody care about yeah. who Lord Voldemort was? Like, I don't think it would be that hard to find out. Just think, like, the Chamber of Secrets should have been a dead giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. go back and, like, think about who was at Hogwarts then. Like, not saying that they could, like, figure out it was Tom Riddle, but, like, that should have, like, I don't know, like, helped them. I'm just so confused about how it was this big secret quote-unquote or did nobody just did Talk nobody care it. i i always kind of interpreted it as like no one outside of those who like interact with him really cared because like i think the whole like the way that dumbledore approaches taking down Voldemort in six like going back and learning about his childhood and all of that yeah. like that feels very unusual mm-hmm. um and so i don't think anyone would have taken that approach before you know. I guess. It just I, is, like, very weird to me. Yeah. I also think that, I think that probably just, like, the majority of the wizarding population, like, didn't want to think about it. And, like, it didn't really matter to them that he was Tom Riddle. Like, that that wouldn't yeah. mean anything to them, you know? And we know that, like, the majority of, like, at least good wizards didn't know because if we think about um, the, when Harry finally defeats Voldemort he like is calling him Tom and like that's like kind of when everyone finds out like that he was Tom you know like that's yeah his real name yeah like I get what you're saying about like why it I don't know like doesn't really matter who he was yeah but it's just like I don't know that was always just so like thinking about it it's like very odd to me yeah um did I still have this pulled up oh no I didn't um I don't know I just it seems weird. Like, yeah. did the ministry not care? Like, I feel like that's something that, like, law enforcement should care about. You know, like, knowing the identity of the evil wizard. Yeah, I just think that... I and don't... it doesn't seem like something that would be that hard to figure out either. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just thought that... that it is interesting. interesting. And yeah. not really explained. Yeah, well, because, like, even... Like, when we talk about... Or, like, thinking back to, like, James and Lily, there's, like, a scene where Lily's, like, um, I guess this is more Snape and Lily. Well, like, when we're going through Snape's memories, Lily's, like, you're hanging out with people who, like, talk about, like, wanting to become Death Eaters and all this yeah. stuff. So it's, like, like Lucius at that him. point, did those kids know? Or were they just, like, oh, Lord Voldemort? I think maybe like, they were... just knew them as Lord Voldemort. Yeah, because I, like, don't know how much removed they would be from, like... Voldemort's original Death Eaters. Yeah. Like, how much older is Voldemort? I guess he was, like, quite a bit older than Lucius. He's, like, 20 years older than, like, Lucius and co. Yeah, and Lucius was, like, a little bit older than Snape. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So, next segment is his relationship with Nagini. Um, so this is another thing that we're kind of just like probably going to learn some more about, hopefully maybe going to learn some more about. Um, 
So they met in the forests of Albania, presumably when Voldemort, a um, little piece of his soul, whatever remained, um, fled there after um, he fell the first time. And he was possessing the bodies of animals, kind of like bouncing between, um, mostly between snakes. And it's kind of implied that he possessed her. Um, he probably possessed her. <laughs> Um, she is said to be his closest friend. Um, I think Dumbledore is like pretty much says like the closest thing to a friend and like that he has. Um, and he clearly trusts her enough to like make her a Horcrux. I mean, that's like besides Harry, which was unintentional. She's the only living Horcrux, um, which obviously I feel like is a big like trust thing for him. He uses her to kill on multiple occasions or like he feeds her to clean up his mess, kind of um, like Charity Burbage, the Muggle Studies teacher, Snape. And I think um, the Thilda. I think it's implied that like Nagini was sent there without Voldemort. And, like, to kill Bethilda. Who killed, yeah. Yeah, and then Nagini possesses Bethilda, which like That's I don't weird. know how that happened. Neither do I. <laughs> um, also... Uh, shoot. Um, doesn't she get to eat Frank, too? I think so. Or at least they, like, talk about how, like, oh, he's gonna feed yeah. Frank to her. Because yeah. he's hungry. And she's used to, like, get out, go after Arthur. Yeah. Weasley. So, yeah. Like, did he know that she was a maledictus? Um, I would assume that he did. Because he had to have known that she was like some sort of like not just your average snake yeah <laughs> for sure um and like they did have she's like, not like other snakes she's not like she's not like other snakes <laughs> she's different uh, um and they had like they were able to have a connection and trust which like i'm imagining like Voldemort speaking parcel tongue to her and like him speaking to other snakes, like, there's probably a limit to the type of conversations they can have. <laughs> but, like, him and Nagini maybe can converse, like, to humans, because, like... Yeah. They both at least were human to start. True. And then there's this theory about Nagini being, um... being Merope Gaunt, being Voldemort's mother. So, this comes from... Um, so we know that, like, the Fantastic Beast movies, the first one occurs in 1926, which is when Voldemort was born. And then um, we know that Nagini is in the Circus Arcanus during this time. And someone kind of was doing some digging. And there's a quote from Half-Blood Prince where Mrs. Cole, the owner of the orphanage, is talking about the birth of Tom Riddle. And she says... Um, quote, I remember she, being Merope, said to me, I hope he looks like his papa. And I won't lie, she was right to hope it, because she was no beauty. And then she told me he had, she told me he was to be named Tom for his father, and Marvolo for her father. Yes, I know, funny name, isn't it? We wondered whether she came from a circus. So, (laughs) the implication (laughs) is that Nagini is is Merope and, like, went to the orphanage to have this baby. And, like, maybe she didn't die in childbirth. Maybe she just, like, did a little magic or whatever and ended up going, then, like, 
becoming a full snake. Um, obviously, she probably wouldn't make a very good mother if she's like turning more and more into a snake every day. That probably wouldn't be the the best childcare option. Um, <laughs> I'm not fully convinced by this because I feel like the like commentary like we wondered if she was from a circus is kind of just to like I feel like any muggle would say that about any wizard they encounter I also think it really like messes with the gaunt family stuff because I guess potentially like instead of seeing her as a squib like they knew she was maledictus and then like kind of thought she was different and not worthless because of that but like yeah I feel like it I don't know I it just feels a little forced to me what do you think? I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't love it. <laughs> it seems like we have a good backstory on Merope. You know, like, maybe yeah. if we didn't know so much about her backstory. Yeah. And, like, her life. But, like, we do. Right, and, like, how would she have gotten with Tom Riddle and, like... Yeah. I don't know. And, I mean... I don't know. I just, like, I don't love it. No. Like, if it had been, like, another, like, kind of more obscure character. Yeah. Um, then I think it, like, would have worked better. Like, I don't know. I just think that we have, like, too much information about Merope for this to, like, make sense. And I need, like, more convincing evidence than an offhanded comment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's not great. If that's, like, really your only piece of, like, book evidence. Yeah. No. <laughs> I will say the other thing is, though, is that... Nagini doesn't don't they talk about like milking Nagini? Yeah. So like baby Valdi. Do snakes have milk? Baby like, Tom snakes have breastfeeding. To, right? No, they're not I mean, mammals. They don't have to. Oh. Well, don't spiders have milk? Am I making that up? <laughs> I swear I'm like I think that they don't. Oh my gosh, no, you know where I'm getting Milking Smiters from? That movie Get Smart with um, Anne Hathaway and Steve Carell. There's milk spiders in there? Some spiders produce milk. Snakes snakes. do not, though. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting, yeah. Some spiders do produce milk, but snakes do not. Um, I think the whole, like, milking Nagini maybe isn't, uh, was a, like, nod to, like, she's not fully snake- we yeah. probably should have picked up on this. Does it mean that she sells nipples? Of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> or is that just what they... I don't know. I don't think that's ever explained. Or maybe... Well, oh no, I've actually heard that, like, it's getting, like, venom. Yeah. Like, like people have theorized that. Yeah, I was just gonna say that, too. Because you can, like, get snakes to, like, bite something. Yeah, it says... And release venom. In the... In the Chinese tra- translation, Nagini allows Wormtail to milk her for a kind of juice, most probably snake venom. Okay. In the Japanese translation, Wormtail milks Nagini for snake essence. Interesting. Oh, snakes are... Oh, sna- milking snakes is the thing. Hang on. Here we are. We're on Sci-Fi Stack Exchange. Oh, yes. Uh, Snakes are milked by expressing the teeth against a rubberized or flat surface and then massaging the venom glands in order to collect the snake's venom. In the real world, this would have been used to produce anti-venom. In the wizarding world, Voldemort uses Nagini's venom to create his rudimentary body pooch. Interesting. There's a little picture of a, a little snake getting milked. Ooh. 
It's kind of a cute snake, though. It's not scary. <laughs> There's, like, people, like, holding it and, like, <laughs> squeezing its venom glands. Yeah. Well, you learn something new every day. Every day. Spiders have milk. Some spiders have milk. Snakes do Snakes not. do not. They have venom. Venom. And venom glands. But our take on the Instead theory... Of mammary glands. Is that no. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to move on to the best section of the podcast? Yes. All right, coming at you from the 50 Amazing Cocktails Inspired by Harry Potter by Archie Thomas, unofficial and unauthorized. We have the Lord Voldemort cocktail, entitled the Avada Kedavra. All right. You might end up dead after you drink it, so. You very well could. (laughs) This is the kind of potion only dark wizards should attempt. Like Polyjuice, it isn't particularly nice, but a few of these, and you'll feel like your soul has been split a few times. Man, Archie, that was a good one. That was good. All right, so our recipe here. One and a half parts whiskey, one and a half parts white rum, one and a half parts gin, one and a half parts brandy, six parts stout, four parts champagne, and ice. What color is this drink? It's it's just brown. Because of all the stout, stout I would think. yeah. Um, it says, half fill a cocktail shaker with ice. Add the gin, rum, whiskey, and brandy to the shaker. Shake well and then strain into a glass. Pour in the stout and stir gently. Finally, carefully pour in the champagne and serve. Why is there champagne in there? That's what I was going to say. Stout and champagne? That's an odd one. Literally four kinds of hard liquor. Yeah. So, please do not drink this. Honest to God, you might end up dead. Archie, you're you're trying to you're get people on out. the floor. <laughs> As always, um, thank you, Archie Thomas, for that wonderful recipe. Yes, thank you. I will never use it. Um, for the where are they now section, Dumbledore. Why did I do that twice? Voldemort <laughs> is dead. Um, Dumbledore's also in, dead. <laughs> Dumbledore is also dead. You are correct. Voldemort, they they didn't die in the same year, though. No. They died in the same month? No. Mark? Dumbledore died in June, didn't he? Oh. I forgot how late the Hogwarts school year is. June 30th, yeah. 1997. Oh my God, Voldemort so is May 2nd, 1998. Two? Voldemort died 26 days before I was born. Voldemort died and you took his place. <laughs> yes. It's like that joke from Parks and Rec um, because like the day that Leslie's mom was born, I think like Stalin died. Yeah. It's like you took her place, mom. Not in like, what did she say? Like not in like world domination or something, something like but that. But in like ruthlessness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. Um, anyways, Lord Voldemort is dead. He died in the Great Hall as the sun rose. Just as the sun broke through the Great Hall windows. And how did he die? He died as a man. His body aged, shriveled up, and there was a body. There was a body. There was not flakes of his skin everywhere to be inhaled. (laughs) Sorry, I think I might sneeze. Because you're thinking about baldy bits. (laughs) Um, Every time you sneeze, there's baldy bits in your nose. Yeah, I don't know. 
That's so annoying. And, like, I think they did that because of the 3D thing. Yeah. Um, they wanted it to look good in 3D. I think that's why they changed the fight at all, really. To, like, add them, like, flying around or whatever. Let's finish this the way we started it. And then when their, like, faces become one. Oh, that's so weird. So weird. Um, but yeah, he's dead. I don't know what they did with the body. I assume they burned it. That's what they should have done, at least. But yeah. Hi, my name is Larry, and I'm a Slytherin. My name is Justin, and I'm a Slytherin. And together we host the Here's Johnny podcast, where we take a look at horror movies, TV shows... Oh, and games. We also have had amazing guests on the show that are directors, producers... And don't forget writers, Twitch streamers, and other podcasters. Yeah, and you can also check out our show every Monday. Just search Here's Johnny podcast in your podcast app of choice. And you can always follow us on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast. We are sure you will find an episode you will love. Maybe just like Ollivander's wands, an episode will pick you. Our pop quiz today is a little bit of a different one. Um, Since it is Christmas Eve, if you listen to this on the day it comes out, which props to you, um, (laughs) you don't have to listen to us on Christmas Eve. Spend it with your family. Um, But if you are, I love you and hope you have a happy holidays. Um, But today we're going to be talking about our favorite Christmas tradition. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. My family's pretty low-key about Christmas, but probably just, like, making good food, being with family. My sister and I make cookies every year, like, stuff like that. Nice. I, um, I'm very much intense. I'm, words. I'm very intense about my Christmas traditions. I really don't like Christmas to be changed at all. Um, which it has been from when I was a child and I'm not happy about it. But, um, like, my Christmas day is, like, very much mapped out. Or at least it used to be. Um, one of my favorite things is, like, none of the kids could go downstairs till everybody was up. Oh, so, yeah. like, we would always, like, ha- have to wake people up and we always, like, sit at the top of the stairs and, like, take a photo and all, like, our Christmas pajamas. And we run downstairs and look at the presents and everybody's allowed to open one present and then we eat breakfast and then, like, we all open all of our presents. But, yeah. I don't know. I just, like, I love the traditions. We normally, we, like, sometimes see a movie on Christmas night Mm-hmm. Um, we pl- normally play a new board game that we got oh, yes. or watch a new movie that we got. Yeah. Yeah. And eat Christmas dinner, which I generally don't eat. I like do a snack all day kind of thing. Like cookies. <laughs> Sounds, and biscuits. Uh, sounds about right. <laughs> Dear eating habits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope everybody has a happy holidays. Happy um, new no year. No matter what you celebrate or don't celebrate. And I yeah. hope 2020 is amazing for you guys. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, so you can subscribe to us anywhere you find your podcasts. Um, our episodes, as you probably know, are released every other Tuesday. And you can rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Maybe Apple Podcasts is what we, I think, can see those reviews on. I don't know. If, like, Spotify has a review option. I don't think that they do. 
Yeah, we got um, a couple more reviews since our last episode, yes. so thank you. Thank you. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wizard Studies Podcast and Twitter as Wizard Studies. You can also email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. You can contact us with any episode idea, pop quiz questions, anything at all. If you just want to talk, chat, <laughs> we're free. Um, yeah. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Mm-hmm.